welcome to Dark Gate Horror Podcast, episode number 19. This is the second podcast in the director series, and this one will look at Alfred Hitchcock. He is one of my favorite directors, and I'm going to give you some biographical information and talk about the man behind the films, and then discuss a couple of his films in detail, including spoilers, as well as my thoughts on each film. It is quite an undertaking discussing the legacy of such a phenomenal man whose career stretched over 50 years. So let's get started. But first, some news. Shudder opens March 21st, 2008 from executive producers of The Ring and The Grudge. This American remake of a Thai horror blockbuster follows the Shaws, a young newlywed couple who become haunted by strange shadow-like images in the photographs they develop after an involvement in a car accident. As more terrifying supernatural occurrences befall them, they begin to wonder whether the photographic ghosts are connected to the accident and to question whether they can survive learning the truth. This continues the recent trend of remaking Asian horror films, but the premise of this one, that of the use of spirit photos, is very intriguing to me. I also have a couple little bits of Hitchcock-related news. There's going to be a Birds remake. The original was trailed by its creator, Alfred Hitchcock, with the promise that it could be the most terrifying motion picture I have ever made. Now, almost 45 years after the release of The Birds, a Hollywood remake is in the works. The new film will star British-born actor Naomi Watts and be directed by Martin Campbell, who made Casino Royale, the last Bond film. However, the new version of the Daphne du Maurier short story that inspired Hitchcock's celebrated film about an attack of birds in a Californian coastal town has already run into opposition. Tippi Hedren, the star of the original film, which was released in 1963, has spoken out against a remake. Speaking in Los Angeles this week, Hedren, a model who was given her first acting role by Hitchcock for the birds, said she thought Hollywood should come up with new ideas. A couple of years ago, when they were first thinking about it, they called and asked what I thought about a remake of The Birds, she told MTV. And I thought, why do they do that? Why? I mean, can't we find new stories, new things to do? Must you be so insecure that you have to take a film that's a classic and I think a success and try to do it over? The new version of The Birds is not the first time Hitchcock's work has been revisited. Director Gus Van Sant made a poorly received shot-by-shot remake of Psycho in 1998. This article is from The Guardian can find at guardian.co.uk. It was from October 20th of 2007. The second bit of news is regarding Alfred Hitchcock Presents. MTV Movies reports that Running With Scissors director Ryan Murphy is getting started on Alfred Hitchcock Presents, a movie about the making of Psycho, and that the director will be played by none other than Anthony Hopkins. In the February post on Presents, Tom Wells of Hollywood Elsewhere said this about the project. Who would have imagined Murphy directing something as unusual and film buffy as Alfred Hitchcock presents? A drama about the making of Hitchcock's Psycho, and particularly the hurdles and roadblocks that the great British director went through in order to bring it about. Hitchcock was discouraged left and right from making it. The script was seen as way too dark and perverse, especially with the lead female star getting killed off after 45 minutes. And no one wanted to see a movie based more or less on the macabre exploits of serial killer Ed Gein. Hopkins sat down with MTV Movies recently and gave them a few tidbits about Presents, including a description of the opening and a public debut of his Hitchcock voice. You can find the article at moviesblog.mtv.com. It was from October 22, 2007. As more news comes about, as far as a Birds remake or the, the lovely new Alfred Hitchcock Presents, I'll pass them along. Let's move along to Part 1, The Man Behind the Films. He was born Alfred Joseph Hitchcock on August 13, 1899, in Leytonstone, 
London, England, and died on April 29, 1980 in Los Angeles, California. He was an iconic and highly influential film director and producer who pioneered many techniques in the suspense and thriller genres. He directed more than 50 feature films in a career spanning six decades, from the silent film era through the invention of talkies to the color era. Hitchcock was among the most consistently successful and publicly recognizable film directors during his lifetime, and remains one of the best-known and most popular of all time. Famous for his expert and largely unrivaled control of pace and suspense, Hitchcock's films draw heavily on both fear and fantasy, and are known for their droll humor and witticisms. They often portray innocent people caught up in circumstances beyond their control or understanding. He began his directing career in the United Kingdom in 1922, but from 1939 he worked primarily in the United States and applied for U.S. citizenship in 1956. Rebecca was the only one of his films to win the Academy Award for Best Picture, although four others were nominated. He was awarded the Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award Lifetime Achievement in 1967. Let's talk about his themes and devices. The first is suspense. Hitchcock preferred the use of suspense over surprise in his films. In surprise, the director assaults the viewer with frightening things. In suspense, the director tells or shows things to the audience which the characters in the films do not know, and then artfully builds tension around what will happen when the characters finally learn the truth. He also used the audience as voyeur, further blurring the moral distinction between the innocent and the guilty, occasionally making this indictment inescapably clear to viewers, one and all, Hitchcock also makes voyeurs of his respectable audience. In Rear Window, after L.B. Jeffries, played by Jimmy Stewart, has been staring across the courtyard at him for most of the film, Lars Thorwald, played by Raymond Burr, confronts Jeffries by saying, What do you want of me? Burr might as well have been addressing the audience. In fact, shortly before asking this, Thorwald turns to face the camera directly for the first time. At this point, audiences often gasp. Similarly, Psycho begins with the camera moving towards the hotel room window, through which the audience is introduced to Marion Crane, played by Janet Lee, and her divorced boyfriend, Sam Loomis, played by John Gavin. They are partially undressed, having apparently had sex through, though they are not married, and Marion is on her lunch hour. Later, along with Norman Bates, played by Anthony Perkins, we watch Marion undress through a peephole. And the MacGuffin, one of Hitchcock's favorite devices for driving the plots of his stories and creating suspense, was what he called the MacGuffin. Hitchcock would use this plot device extensively. Many of his suspense films revolve around this device, a detail which, by inciting curiosity and desire, drives the plot and motivates the actions of characters within the story, but whose desire... Oh, sorry, back that up but whose specific identity and nature is unimportant to the spectator of the film. In Vertigo, for instance, Carlotta Valdez is a MacGuffin. She never appears, and the details of her death are unimportant to the viewer. But the story about her ghost-haunting Madeline Elster is the spur for Scotty's investigation of her, and hence the film's entire plot. Many of Hitchcock's films contain cameo appearances of Hitchcock himself. The director would be seen for a brief moment boarding a bus, crossing in front of a building, standing in an apartment across the courtyard, or appearing in a photograph. This playful gesture became one of Hitchcock's signatures. Next, let's talk about motifs. Numerous motifs can be found throughout Hitchcock's work. The most interesting to a student of horror, in my opinion, are the following. Ordinary person. 
Placing an ordinary person into extraordinary circumstances is a common element in Hitchcock's films. In The Man Who Knew Too Much from 1956, James Stewart plays an ordinary man from Indianapolis vacationing in Morocco when his son is kidnapped. In Psycho, Janet Lee is an unremarkable secretary whose personal story is violently interrupted by a furious schizophrenic. Other clear examples are Strangers on a Train, I Confess, Vertigo, and North by Northwest. The Wrong Man Mistaken identity is a common plot device in his films. In The Wrong Man, Henry Fonda's mistaken for a criminal. The plot of Vertigo revolves around James Stewart's investigation of Kim Nowak's actual identity. In both versions of The Man Who Knew Too Much, the lead character is mistaken for a spy. And Mothers Mothers are frequently depicted as intrusive and domineering as seen in Rope, Notorious, North by Northwest, Psycho, and The Birds. And Sexuality For their time, Hitchcock's films were regarded as rather sexualized, often dealing with perverse and taboo behaviors. Sometimes the prudish conventions of his era caused him to convey sexuality in an emblematic fashion, such as in North by Northwest, when the film cuts abruptly from the two aroused but visually chaste lovers to a train entering a tunnel. Hitchcock found a number of ways to convey sexuality without depicting graphic behaviors. Blonde Women Hitchcock had a dramatic preference for blonde women, stating that the audience would be more suspicious of a brunette. He said the blondes were a symbol of the heroine. He also thought they photographed in black and white, which was the predominant film for many dramas for many years. Silent Scenes As a former silent film director, Hitchcock strongly preferred to convey narratives with images rather than dialogue. Hitchcock viewed film as a primary visual medium in which the director's assemblage of images must convey the narrative. Examples of imagery over dialogue are in the lengthy sequence in Vertigo in which Jimmy Stewart is silently following Kim Novak. And Part 2. The Films I'm sure all of our listeners are familiar with Hitchcock's films, at least Psycho. But if you have not seen many of his films, I would like to recommend my top five favorites, although I have enjoyed every Hitchcock film I've ever seen. Coming in number five, Rear Window from 1954, starring James Stewart as well as Thelma Ritter and Raymond Burr. Here, the wheelchair-bound Stewart observes the movements of his neighbors across the courtyard and becomes convinced that one of them has murdered his wife. Like Lifeboat and Rope, the movie was photographed almost entirely within the confines of a small space. Stewart's tiny studio apartment overlooking the massive courtyard set. For anyone who's lived in an urban area or just likes to watch their surroundings and, and watch people, this film made you feel like a voyeur, as, which was, of course, one of his favorite motifs. But it was so well done, and you didn't quite know what was going to happen until the end. It's an excellent film. Number four, North by Northwest from 1959, a suspense film starring Cary Grant. It's a tale of mistaken identity with an innocent man pursued across America by agents of a mysterious organization who want to stop his interference in their plans to smuggle out some microfilm, a classic MacGuffin. What I love most about North by Northwest is the cinematography, the visuals. There are two scenes in particular, one with the the airplane and then the very end scene, which was just amazing. Apparently, Hitchcock had wanted to have that end sequence for some time, and he was finally able to put it into this film. It's a beautiful film, and he had originally wanted James Stewart for the role, but he felt that he was getting a little too old and chose Cary Grant. It's going to stand the test of time, and it's a fantastic film. Number three, The Birds from 1963, which I'll talk about in just a little bit. 
Number two, Psycho from 1960. Again, I'll mention that in a few minutes. And number one, Vertigo from 1958. Again, starring Stewart, this time with Kim Novak and Barbara Bell Geddes. The film tells the story of a retired policeman who falls in love with a mysterious woman he has been hired to follow. The film was a commercial failure, and it's tragically overlooked by many people, but recently the film has come to be viewed by many as one of Hitchcock's masterpieces. And it doesn't matter how many times I watch this film, I am just mesmerized and totally intrigued, and of course Jimmy Stewart is one of my favorite actors. But it's so well done, and I can't believe that it was what they considered a commercial failure. But I actually just watched this film again last week, and I'm just blown away every time I see it. So I would recommend you go out and watch these five films. If there are others that you like, please write in. Tell me why you love them, because yes, the films are old. I have some friends who don't like to watch old films, as they call them. But I think Hitchcock appeals to everybody. It can cross over into many genres including the horror genre, which is what we're talking about today. But thriller and suspense, if we wouldn't have the common films that we have today, the -the run-of-the-mill suspense films, if we hadn't had Hitchcock, I firmly believe this. He was the forerunner. He invented the MacGuffin. He invented all of these different ways. And and he got into some trouble with the studios because of the way he wanted to film and the new technology he wanted to use. It was unusual. He set the bar very high, and very few directors have been able to follow him. With that said, let's move on and talk about his horror films. Hitchcock, the master of suspense, directed only four horror films over the course of his career. The Lodger in 1926, Psycho, The Birds, and Frenzy in 1972. And I'm going to talk about The Birds and Psycho in depth. Let's start with The Birds from 1963. You know, I finally got around to watching this film again a few months ago and was amazed how well it's aging. It's holding up. The characters are realistic, and in fact, the realism is what gives the film its horrific feeling. My sister would kill me for saying this because she keeps birds, but I find birds a bit creepy. Or maybe it's just the lasting effect this film had on me when I was a kid watching it for the first time. The Birds is a modern Hitchcock thriller masterpiece, his first film with Universal Studios. It's an apocalyptic story of a northern California coastal town of Bodega Bay, filled with the onslaught of seemingly unexplained, arbitrary, and chaotic attacks of ordinary birds, not birds of prey. Ungrammatical advertising campaigns emphasize the birds is coming. This technicolor feature came after Psycho, another film loaded with bird references. Novelist Evan Hunter based his screenplay upon the 1952 collection of short stories of the same name by Daphne du Maurier. The film's technical wizardry is extraordinary, especially in the film's closing scene, a complex trick composite shot. The special visual effects were nominated for an Academy Award, the film's sole nomination. Hundreds of birds, gulls, ravens, and crows were trained for use in some of the scenes, while mechanical birds and animations were employed for others. The film's non-existent musical score is replaced by an electronic soundtrack, including simulated bird cries and wing flaps, with Bernard Herrmann serving as a sound consultant. It was shot on location in the port town of Bodega Bay, north of San Francisco, and in San Francisco itself. Initially, critics were baffled when they attempted to interpret the film on a literal level and measure it against his other disaster horror films of its kind. The typical Hitchcock MacGuffin is the question, why do the strange attacks occur? 
but the film cannot solely be interpreted this way because as the actors in the film discover in a long discussion scene in the Tides restaurant, there is no solid rational reason why the birds are attacking. When this is understood, the symbolic film's complex fabric makes more sense, especially if interpreted in Freudian terms. It's about three needy women, literally birds, and a fourth from a younger generation, each flocking around and vying for varying degrees of affection and attention from the sole, emotionally cold male lead, and the fragile tensions, anxieties, and unpredictable relationships between them. The attacks are mysteriously related to the mother and son relationship in the film, anger, and fears of abandonment or being left alone of the jealous, initially hostile mother surface when her bachelor son brings home an attractive young woman. Curiously, the first attack has symbolic phallic undertones. It occurs when the man and woman approach each other from the outside the restaurant in the coastal town. On an allegorical level, the birds in the film are the physical embodiment and exteriorization of unleashed, disturbing, and shattering forces that threaten all of humanity when relationships have become unsubstantial, unsupportive, or hurtful. In a broader, more universal sense, the stability of the home and natural world environment symbolized by broken teacups at the domestic level, is in jeopardy and becoming disordered when people cannot see the dangers gathering nearby and protect themselves from violence behind transparent windows, telephone booths, eyeglasses, or facades. Numerous allusions to blindness are sprinkled throughout the film, giving the hint that the camera's voyeuristic lens and its screen-viewing audience is also being subjected to assault. Now, this Freudian analysis and an allegory is from filmsite.org slash bird. It's a very unusual review of the film. And on the alternative, I came across the following perspective. And horror is about identifying with the victim in a very uneasy way, feeling the ghastly flutter of the bird wings about your face, its claws dragging at the nape of your neck, its beak pecking aggressively at your vulnerable skin. So as a woman, I watched this through laced fingers and parts, and identified with being thrown into a life-threatening situation might be the result of bad karma or might just have happened in the cussed way that life does, as I was getting to know a nice man despite his nightmare of a mother. And that's a part of a review from litlove.wordpress.com from 5.14.07. I'll put the link in the show notes on all these articles. Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 97% fresh. The most amazing thing to me about rewatching this film in modern times is that Hitchcock was revolutionary in the use that he used live, trained birds for the vast majority of the film. He did use some mechanical birds, but the combination of the two is seamless and extremely well done. In fact, he used over 400 special effects shots, and the brilliance of this film is due in large part to the stellar cast, but also to Hitchcock's impeccable use of color, sound, and landscape. After I watched the film again, I sat back for a moment after the film ended in the realization that this film was made in 1963. With today's cinematography and special effects, the film may or may not look better than if it were filmed today. Even a brief scour of the internet will divulge a plethora of different beliefs and perspectives regarding this seemingly simple film, whether people like me are reading too much into a film, or whether Hitchcock and the original author, of course, wanted to tell a straightforward horror tale we may never know. As I may have said before, the mark of a good book and or film is that the reader or watcher can interpret the story as they desire, and can identify with the characters good or evil. This leads us into our discussion of an even more complex film, Psycho. Psycho from 1960. The film is based upon the novel of the same name by Robert Bloch, which was in turn inspired by the crimes of Wisconsin serial killer Ed Gein. Growing up in northeastern Wisconsin, Ed Gein was well known to me. It should come as no surprise, as a serious fan of horror films and fiction, that I have always had an interest in serial killers. 
In fact, it was shortly after I learned about Ed Gein's grisly history that Jeffrey Dahmer's killings in Milwaukee were discovered. Real-life serial killers are of great influence to the horror genre, and this film was groundbreaking in many ways. Psycho was a prime example of a type of film that appeared in the 1960s after the erosion of the production code. It was unprecedented in its depiction of sexuality and violence, right from the opening scene where Sam and Marion are shown as lovers sharing the same bed. In the production code standards of the time, unmarried couples shown in the same bed would be taboo. In addition, the censors were upset about the shot of a flushing toilet. At that time, the idea of seeing a toilet on screen, let alone being flushed, was taboo in American movies and TV shows. According to Entertainment Weekly, the production code censors had no objection to the bloodletting, the Oedipal murder theme, or even the shower scene, but did ask that Hitchcock remove the word transvestite from the film. He didn't. At one point, Hitchcock actually considered releasing the film without censorial approval. Its box office successes helped propel Hollywood towards a more graphic displays of previously censored themes. Psycho is widely considered to be the first film in the slasher film genre. The most iconic scene in the film, arguably one of the most iconic scenes in film history, is the murder of Janet Lee's character in the shower. Although there is little visible gore portrayed on screen, the shower scene is often regarded as one of the most frightening sequences in cinema history. As such, it spawned numerous myths and legends. It was shot from December 17th to the 23rd, 1959, and between 71 and 78 angles, the exact number unknown. The scene runs two minutes and includes 50 cuts. Most of the shots were extreme close-ups, except for medium shots in the shower directly before and directly after the murder. The combination of the close shots with the short duration between cuts makes the sequence feel longer, more subjective, more uncontrolled, and more violent than the images themselves were they presented alone or in a wider angle. Let's go over the synopsis of the film. It opens with discreet lovers Marion Crane, Lee, and Sam Loomis, played by Gavin, together in a hotel room. Until Sam's finances improve, the two cannot marry as he is in debt. Unhappy and desperate to improve their situation, Marion steals $40,000 cash tendered as payment for a real estate deal in the office where she works in Phoenix, Arizona. She packs and leaves town with the money, heading to California to where Sam lives. All the while, she keeps looking behind her, fearful she is being followed, even after purchasing a different car in California. While driving fatigued in the dark and pouring rain, she decides to find somewhere to sleep for the night and stops at Bates Motel. Marion encounters Norman Bates, played by Anthony Perkins, the young owner who looks after the motel and his ailing mother in a nearby mansion on a hill. Norman invites her to dine at his mansion, and while talking with Norman, she considers him something of an eccentric. Later, as Marion showers in her hotel room, she is stabbed to death in a now-famous shower scene by a shadowy woman figure while Bernard Herrmann's screeching string score plays. Norman is horrified when he finds the bloody corpse, and to protect his mother, he disposes all evidence of the crime by sinking Marion's body, her car, her belongings, including the newspaper with the money, in a swamp behind the Bates property. Marion's disappearance along with the money sets a search in motion. A private detective is hired to find and discover the money, and he traces Marion to the Bates Motel, where he questions Norman and is similarly slashed to death by Norman's mother after being pushed down a flight of stairs when he sneaks up to the Bates Mansion to question her. Marion's sister Lila and Sam immediately become concerned when the investigator does not telephone them after reaching the motel and decides to alert the local sheriff. 
they explain to the sheriff and his wife their story about Marion's disappearance, and he tells them that Norman's mother has been dead and buried for the past ten years, when she poisoned herself and her lover with strychnine. While investigating, Sam and Lila decide to check into Bates Motel to search for proof of Marion. At one point, Lila slips into the basement to discover the semi-preserved corpse of Norman's mother, just as Norman, wearing his mother's clothes, enters with a knife to kill Lila. However, Sam has regained consciousness and knocks Norman out with a blow to the head from behind, while Lila watches in disbelief. At the end of the film, a forensic psychiatrist, Dr. Fred Richmond, played by Oakland, explains that Bates' mother, although dead, lives on in Norman's psyche. But when his mother found a lover, Norman became jealous and murdered them both. He was so dominated by his mother while she lived and so guilt-ridden for murdering her ten years earlier that he tried to erase the crime from his mind by bringing his mother back to life. Physically, this was done by stealing her corpse and preserving it with his taxidermy skills, thereby inciting a split personality in Norman, creating the persona of his mother. He acts as he believes she would, talks as she would, and even dresses as she would in an attempt to erase her absence and the guilt. Because Norman is so very jealous of his mother while she lived, his split personality is equally jealous of any woman to whom Norman might be attracted. Norman's psychosis prohibits him from knowing of his mother's crimes or her original demise. The last scene shows Norman Bates in a cell, his mind completely dominated by the persona of his mother. In the last moments of the scene, there's a brief instant when the hideous face of the decomposed mother can be seen superimposed on Norman's face. A brief epilogue shows Marion's car being towed from its watery grave in the swamp. Roger Ebert, in his review, stated, Seeing the shower scene today, several things stand out. Unlike modern horror films, Psycho never shows the knife striking flesh. There are no wounds. There is blood, but not gallons of it. Hitchcock shot in black and white, and because he felt the audience could not stand so much blood and color, the 1998 Gus Van Sant remake specifically repudiates this theory. The slashing chords of Bernard Herrmann's soundtrack substitute for more grisly sound effects. The closing shots are not graphic, but symbolic, as water and blood spin down the drain and the camera cuts to a close-up, the same size of Marion's unmoving eyeball. This remains the most effective slashing in movie history, suggesting that situation and artistry are more important than graphic details. What makes Psycho immortal when so many films are already half-forgotten as we leave the theater, is that it connects directly with our fears. Our fears that we may impulsively commit a crime. Our fears of the police, as Hitchcock had. Our fears of becoming the victim of a madman. And, of course, our fears of disappointing our mothers. And the legacy of Psycho lives on. It is represented in the following of the American Film Institute's lists. Number 18 in the list of the 100 Greatest American Movies. Number one on the list of the 100 most thrilling movies ever. Norman Bates was ranked the second best villain on their list of the 50 best villains in cinema history. The music in the film was ranked number four in the list of the 25 best film scores of all time. Norman's famous line, a boy's best friend is his mother, was 56th on the list of 100 most memorable movie quotes in history. It appeared on a number of lists by websites, TV channels, magazines, and books, including the following. Its shower scene was featured as number four on the list of Bravo Network's 100 Scariest Movie Moments. The finale was ranked number four on Premiere's list of the 25 most shocking moments in movie history. And number 11 in Entertainment Weekly's book titled, The 100 Greatest Movies of All Time. Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 98% fresh. There are a couple similarities between the two films. 
Both were particularly notable for their unconventional soundtracks, both by Bernard Herrmann, the screeching strings from the murder scene in Psycho pushed the limits of the time, and the birds dispensed completely with conventional instruments, using an electronically produced soundtrack and a song by schoolchildren. Also, both films feature birds predominantly in the film. The song of the night tonight is Mine Again by Black Lab, brought to you by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Enjoy! There's a place I used to go There's a world I used to know There was a light and it was you Every word I say
for more Hitchcock, you can watch episodes of the Alfred Hitchcock Hour, which ran from 1962 to 1965, streaming on NBC's website. A link will be in the show notes. The next episode, will discuss Universal's Monsters. Take care, and I'll talk to you soon. You can email me at darkgatehorror at gmail.com and visit my website at darkgatehorror.blogspot.com. Thanks to Josh Woodward for the use of his song, I Want to Destroy Something Beautiful, for the opening and closing music. Visit his website at joshwoodward.com. <laughs>